no. We have to brighten up this dreary end of January, Carl. So how sure. are you? I'm fine. I'm I'm in the middle of a homestand at hockey that is divided by Disney on ice. So I have two hockey games, then Disney on ice comes, and then I have two more hockey games. It's weird. Because the Blues were supposed to be at the Olympics, and then that didn't happen. Yeah. We'll talk to our guest, Joshua Ray, in just a moment. And we'll talk about the Olympics around minute four. We'll talk about Flea around minute 24, the King's Daughter. Around minute 30, Parallel Mothers. Around minute 42, Matrix Resurrections. Then around minute 47, the Tragedy of Macbeth. And then around minute 53, Licorice Pizza. And then we'll talk about Encanto at one hour and nine minutes. It's going to be a weird Olympics because the correspondents are here. Yes. And the... Olympics are in 100% fake snow for the first time ever. This is going to be so weird, but I love watching the Olympics. Our guest, Joshua Ray, hello. Hi, I know nothing about the Olympics, so I will remain silent during this talk. Oh, I was going to ask you if you're a big fan. I watch them every four years. And then the two years that in between that Dan Jansen got to win the gold medal, I actually did a feature on it. So yeah, no. Go USA. Sean White <laughs> looks so grown up. Carl, have you seen him? No. Oh, yeah. He's like a grown dude. And then, of course, we have the spectacular figure skaters. Nathan Chen, best in the world. Let's see if he gets gold. Because at the last Olympics, he uh, finished a disappointing fifth. But then to come back in the free skate, which I know you know nothing about, but he put on this spectacular show and saved his, you know, I guess reputation or whatever. And then he has won the national championships every year since. And I think the world, so I'm not sure. But we have Asian skaters that are incredible. And so, yeah, USA. All right, we're talking sports and we need to be talking movies. So we have entertainment. Uh, as we, we don't have any sports entertainment this week to discuss. No. Because it, everybody's discussed it. <laughs> no, so. because all the sports movies already came out. This is the this is the time of year between January and February where they release horror films and movies that you already heard about last year. Right. It's a very then, exciting time for me, someone who knows nothing about sports or sports film. Yes. Well, we had you on today because we had a horrible mishap happen when I used a different computer on my birthday. We recorded December 23rd and Joshua was on and we had a great discussion on all these year end awards titles. And we had a uh, we had a good discussion on the Matrix Resurrection and then and, it was and gone licorice with, pizza yes and then which i'm still discussing with people good we'll talk about that later but we do have a couple new releases the only substantial new release is flea which is the documentary from denmark that is shortlisted as an international feature for the Oscars and shortlisted for the documentary award. And it could conceivably be nominated for animation, although 
based on the Guild Award nominations yesterday, I don't think that's likely. But it's definitely on the short list for animation, right? No, they don't have one. I looked because I said, oh, sure, it's on the short list. They don't have one. And all the guilds, these are the five mm. that they nominated yesterday. Luca, Encanto, Mitchells versus the Machines. Yay. R Raya, Raya and the Last Dragon and Sing 2. Well, I mean, we can get into it, but personally i like that group a bit more than flea flea i think is a fine film i think it's it's gotten it's gotten a lot of attention for its content and that is well deserved and appreciated i don't know that it's as special a film as everyone is making it out to be um and you know if they don't do a short list for animation then i think it has a chance but uh you know just as a an Oscar head that would be an, a certainly uh, an interesting um, record breaker there or an interesting factoid but I don't know I, I kind of like the group of five that you just said more than Flea. Wow. I do think that well that I saw Flea long time ago so yes, I had to refresh yes. But you know what Lynn when you talked about Flea you really it being animated was secondary yeah. And it I was think more that's... to me, it's more of a documentary told as animation. And the reason why it is am, uh, animated is because the subject who uses a, a pseudonym, he is not a mean. That's not right. his real name. So this happened. He's an Afghan refugee. He is a friend of the director. He has never shared his story about his traumatic journey. And his 20 years, he's kept a secret. And so in order for, well, the filmmaker said, well, when you're ready, and he convinced him to tell it, but they told it in animation because he didn't want to reveal himself. Which so is that's where completely... the animation comes in. And it's understandable too, because all of that, the, the kind of secrecy that it takes to be in the closet. Um, I don't know that you expressly said why he's fleeing. Right, I didn't. Um, and I well, didn't say it last night either. But... Um, and I don't know that that's much of a spoiler. I think people know this is a, a queer-focused film, but... Um, no, it's, it's in the tagline. He's, he's yeah. about to marry his husband. Right. right well, right. right. Like, Well, that's what I figured. I figured if people know he's going to marry his partner, then he knows they know that there's something because obviously that's against his uh the culture that he grew up in now he and his family fled during the afghan civil war in the 80s and as a news person i feel bad that i don't remember too much about the afghan civil war in the 1980s but he and his family went with sex traffickers to soviet union so that was icky enough and he's like nine years old then somehow, because I don't want to ruin this, he gets to Denmark as an unaccompanied minor. And so the story, his memories become an adventure in this movie. And then we have news footage to put it in context to tell us this is what was going on when my life was turned upside down. And now at 36, he's an academic. 
he's successful, he's going to marry the guy he's been living with, um, very happy, but in order to have a future, he has to reconcile with the past. And I like, I appreciate what it's doing in narrativizing his story. It really is a film that, um, although it is, you know, ostensibly documentary, it's the filmmaker interviewing him, and then you see uh, everything that happened to him in flashbacks. And it 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 does have a like three act structure. It builds suspense uh, between beats, and the individual scenes that you're talking about are pretty incredible in that. I guess for me, it is that narrativization that kind of rubbed me the wrong way because it's ostensibly a very insane story about um, a queer person in under the most extreme circumstances and how they get out of it. But it's queerness is really diluted. Um, uh, it, you know, it feels to me made palatable for the audience who is really responding to it, which is, um, totally cool and if we can get our queer stories out that way that's fine by me um I, I I'm just really reacting to the what I perceive as the overreaction of it um one thing that I the thing I really don't like about it is the animation itself were you too impressed by it or I I just it's pretty it simple ugly. yeah yeah it is very simple oh they brought up uh, when I was reading articles about it about waltz with Bashir, right, from a couple of years ago, and I go, oh yeah, it's that. It's more about what we would say, what adult animation. Sure, sure, okay. yeah. If, if yeah, you could define it that way because it's not, you know, it's not like these big round faces. It's not exaggeration. It's very sort of the it's most not realistic. Like you can get. Mitchell's versus the machines, where it's <laughs> several types of animation. This is just they're trying very basically to get the story across and it in in our theater group i'm sorry in our film group <laughs> gateway film critics association we gave it best documentary and nominated for best animated but we it won best documentary for us interesting is <laughs> all i have to say we but yes it is it is a film that a lot of people have really responded to and really loved um, I don't know. I don't know that I'm clear on how you guys feel about it. And I'm saying all this terrible stuff. Well, it's, no, no. It's, I, it's I like it because of the story and because yeah. of the the guy's journey. Like from the little kids, they do the two different ages. And oh my God, what that family had to endure. Mm. So I like that for, for being able to be brave enough to, uh, to tell us because in this day and age, if we have one refugee story, that we see and yes. we can relate to, then that gives context to what currently is going on in Afghanistan and in St. Louis, particularly because we are taking in Afghanistan refu refugee from Afghanistan. So I think that helps make people understand that, okay, these are Muslims, but they want the same things as we do. They fight for their freedom. They want to be able to raise their families in a safe place. Joshua, yeah. what, what you're saying is, here's, here's how I would put this. The, the film is produced by Neon. It's being distributed by Neon. If someone were to say, what kind of film do you think Neon would put out as an animated feature? It would be Flea. 
because yeah. of everything that it. Neon has done. Um, one thing I agree with what you're saying, Lynn, in that um, just delivering the story is kind of enough, right? Uh-huh. Um, I would recommend a film from two years ago, but maybe a year ago. I don't remember. Uh, Welcome to Chechnya. Did either of you see that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I did not. That's it, it, it doesn't. It, well, it's on HBO, Carl, or should be. Yes, it's an. Uh, it should be on HBO Max. It was an HBO documentary. I saw it at True False, which um, was like the last film festival we all got to go to for a very long time, and it it it, it was stirring. It was frightening. It is a documentary of um, in the moment uh, reporting of uh, queer people in Chechnya who are. Um, essentially experiencing a genocide right now and it's being buried and it is about a group of people who are uh, you know taking these people out of the country and placing them in other countries and the process of it and you get to know these people um as characters too right the, i think they're more fleshed out in this documentary than they would be in flea um and while it's not animated it, it does use a similar technique in hiding identity by obs- digitally obscuring their faces and modifying their faces to be other ones. So there's an additional really odd layer uh, experience uh, remove of watching it because you're not really able to get close to these people similar to Flea. Um, so the filmmakers are asking you to suspend a lot of disbelief in engaging with his story because of this. Uh, but I, I just think it's more urgent and I hate to compare the two because they're both they're both very valuable stories to tell. Um, but if you like Flea, you would, I shouldn't say enjoy, but you should see, and I think everyone should see Welcome to Chechnya. Right, yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I agree with that. You're, you're coming from a different perspective because you, well, also you program the Q-Fest. Yes. So you were looking for stories that resonate and and help uh, share your stories uh, because that gets leads to understanding and awareness. Yeah. And I think it, it, not again, this is me reacting to the reaction towards Flea, which has been sort of unanimously um, celebrated. Right. I mean, well, we're talking is- about it. If you look, if you look at the awards, it's won. It's won just as many documentary awards as animation awards. So, it's it's torn on the reaction to this. Well, yeah, I as think far it's, as how it's to categorize. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also think because right now it's it's so in the moment mm-hmm. because of the refugee crisis, because we know what happened in Afghanistan and. Uh, oh, you know, people trying to get out. We saw, we saw all these people trying to get out and and killed. And you know, I so I think it's it's hitting the right time. It's one of those zeitgeist films. If you look at the what was leading up for documentary at the end of the year, and even in our group, because we had a, a set of of documentaries that for most of the people that really like documentaries watched. Well, three of them were music documentaries. 
Yeah, we had a strange set this year, which um, I I appreciated. Uh, There were a couple of dark horses that I nominated myself that uh, it seemed like the whole group responded to included um, a couple I think we talked about on here. Well, yeah, we we had Velvet Underground, we had Tina, we had Summer of Soul, Mm -hmm. and then we had on the other end of the spectrum, we had The Rescue, which is on uh, Disney Plus right now, and then uh, Flea, which one? Well, the, I, I would imagine um, that the the music documentaries all canceled each other out. Well, yeah. And then I also think, you know, the Sparks Brothers, one of my favorite movies of the year. And Val was really good. And then Carl and I really liked the Billie Eilish one, which yep. is on the short list for yep. the Oscars. And, the pink, and uh, the pink one is good on Amazon. Yeah. all the, Well, I guess I gravitate to the, the music documentaries. I'm not as enamored with the Velvet Underground as everybody else is. But that's because I was... I, I wanted something different from it than what I got, but that's my expectation. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's praised by tons of people and it is on that short list, but what's interesting, the guild nominations yesterday for documentary, the first wave is getting huge amount of buzz, which is on, uh, it's on one of the streaming services right now. It is, Cinema Verite, it is from a New York hospital when COVID first hit. So they do the March to June. That's why it's called the first wave in this hospital, which, as you know, New York was like ground zero for COVID in the U.S. And it's getting a ton of coverage in our Critics' Choice Association People didn't even give it the time of day. Like it wasn't, I mean, I think it was nominated in like the science and medicine one, same way Fauci was, but it's not getting, but it cleaned up yesterday. You should see all the nominations it got. And this is one of those where they fall through the cracks. Like we don't consider it at the end of the year, but then all of a sudden momentum grows and there it is. And it's especially with uh, what we were talking about earlier with these smaller guilds right or groups like ours that are uh sort of more niche or specialized to an area uh, like ours is um you're we're able to champion things that aren't in the conversation i haven't seen the first wave i'm excited to see it i am reticent to see it because i don't want to live through it again um i did see uh, uh namfu wong's film uh, in the same breath, which is about the the dual stories of uh, the um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the province where it's where the anti-vax. Are? It's the anti-vax. Yeah, this is the story of of the cover up um, of the initial wave or the origin of the crisis and the and the pandemic. Um, and it tells the dual stories of what was happening in Wuhan and what was happening in the United States and sort of how similar uh, the responses were, even though <laughs> ideologically, supposedly, um, you know, they're opposing forces. But it, the result was nearly identical uh, between the two. But that was that it's so harrowing and we're all just really fresh with it. I think I just need a second before I get to the first wave. First wave is actually distributed by neon also. So come on, neon, neon, neon. You're having a good year. I believe it's in our pack because I have my pack still sitting by my DVD. Uh, I mean, it's the fifth, it's the fifth year. Neon's only been around for five years now. So 
it's, well, it's amazing. Remember how we used to get those those similar things from Radius? That was an offshoot of the Weinstein Company, but I think that was a casualty of the whole Harvey. Oh darn biz <laughs> and then i thought because remember how they had good movies they did the 20 feet from stardom doc right won the oscar and and i'm not i'm not saying i'm saying that the harvey thing is the thing that is i'm glad is gone not the fact that the a movie oh. studio disappeared oh i am too but i'm just saying they were the ones that at the end of the year we look forward to that package and then we had good night mommy that terrifying horror film that is being remade as an american film and i forget who's doing it but we voted that st louis film critics voted that as our favorite horror movie that year over it follows by the way uh i don't think i uh voted for that i wasn't in the group then but i will put (laughs) my vote in right now for it follows for good night mommy a film i despise all right so lynn let's let's uh, let's move on to the King's Daughter, which you oh. talked a little bit about last week <laughs> and how everybody hates this movie. Oh, my God. I Okay, first of all, I got to preface it with, I realize uh, um, many of my girlfriends watch every Hallmark Christmas movie. They love cheesy romances. I'm, I'm okay sometimes with just something, escapism. You know, like, hey, I like the first Twilight movie. I will... I will go on record for that and pretty woman and stuff. So I can be, you know, I don't want to be a film snob. So I was trying to give this movie some leeway. Like now hold on, hold first of all, how long has the movie been sitting on the shelf? Four years? Yeah, well, that's that's when I did the backstory, then I was horrified. Okay, well, first of all, it is so incredibly horribly bad that I can't even believe they put it out. So I was trying to give it the impasse, and then I couldn't because. This is, this is what we have in it. I mean, this is a total train wreck of a movie. It is, we have Mermaids, The Lost City of Atlantis, A Solar Eclipse, Louis Fourteenth, His Court, His Illegitimate Daughter, and The Palace of Versailles, which somehow has this underground lair that they keep this mermaid in. And, uh, I've so been it's there. Like, I didn't see that. And I, and I lied. Like a, I was I was half right. It wasn't it wasn't four years. It was almost eight. Yeah. So so this is like a Harlequin romance novel meets like fantasy fiction. Some fan wrote. And then it it, it kind of gives the appearance because it's all glossy. And he got use of Versailles, for God's sakes. So it's a Sean McNamara, I think is the director. No, McNamara. no, no. No credits of any consequence. So uh, it was made. Yes, he did. He he did Three Ninjas High Noon with Hulk Hogan. Oh, wow. Okay. A surefire classic. Okay. So so it uh, they don't tell you this. I was reading so much about this movie because I thought Soul Surfer. He did Soul Surfer. It was the story about the girl that Bet the Bethel Bethany Hamilton story girl that got her the surfer girl that got her arm bitten off by the shark. Right. Well, he likes movies with water. Okay. And he directed um, so, the miracle uh, season about the uh, volleyball se- team that had a tragedy on it. Yeah, high school. Um, yeah, they lost their star player in a horrible moped accident. 
And she was on her way back from seeing her mother in the hospital for cancer treatment. I feel like you're burying the lead about this. Movie, I am. Though. I it's am. So, the cast. so okay. Yes. So, okay. okay. Here's, on paper, uh, like I was like, well, how bad can this be? It's got Pierce Brosnan, William Hurt, Pablo Schreiber, and Benjamin Hunt uh, Walker, uh, you know, a- a- Rachel Griffiths and, and Julie Andrews. Narrators. Julie Andrews is a narrator. So I'm thinking, okay, Bridgerton. Oh my God. I couldn't have been more wrong because first of all, this movie was made in 2014 because as I'm reading about it, Benjamin Walker and the lead girl, Kaya or Kaya Scodelaria, they fell in love on the set and got married and have two children. So I'm like, when did they film this? So I finally found out that it was 2014. So it has been eight years. Yes. Eight years. So on IMDb, the screenwriter, Barry Berman, is listed. And he won an Oscar for Rain Man. But <laughs> when you watch the movie, totally not in the credits. So his name is no longer attached to this. And then they have some screenwriters that obviously had some talent once upon a time, but this is hack stuff. So the movie looks like rejects from a Vogue fashion shoot. We have Pierce Brosnan in a really bad rock star wig. And he and the daughter, and they do this minuet, but the fashions are strange. They are not like any period piece you've ever seen it's just like a madonna vogue uh, video music video and they're the mean girls like she comes in this simple dress because she's been in this convent and she doesn't know louis the 14th is her dad so the plot this is how ridiculous the plot is okay somebody shoots louis but he he survives and he decides well i better be immortal because i want to save france so if they find a mermaid and he harnesses her energy during a solar eclipse, then he will live forever. All right. You've talked too much about this movie. It's dumb. The, here's one reason I'm glad it's out because I would not, would li- I would not like any of these major stars to have passed away. And then they say, Oh no, there's one, this would be their last film. So I'm glad it's out. So now that they can do something else. And so that this atrocity is no longer their last film. Well, I do have one thing to add. The mermaid is played by Bing Bing fan. Mm. Our fan Bing Bing. Fan and Bing Bing. Yeah, fan Bing Bing. She's one of the great stars of China. Mm-hmm. They CGI her as this mermaid. Okay. Lynn, I have to say, you have sold me totally <laughs> on watching this thing you've yet to say anything to convince to hate, me watch to it? not watch it in well, fact it's probably I one of these campy right yeah it's, it's probably yeah. one of these campy movies that you can just go and laugh through the whole thing if you're really high <laughs> look it's friday let's go king's daughters you know today. the world is pretty it's still at the multiplexes It's still at the Marcus ones. I mean, granted, they're only like last week they had a bunch of showings. Now they're down at like one a day. Mm. But I would (laughs) suspect that this will be on some streaming service really fast. 
Well, yeah. I'll definitely this one wait is for not that. neon. <laughs> this one's not neon. This one is who? Uh, Gravitas Ventures. They are uh, the ones who are distributing this. Yes. Well, you know as well as I do that sometimes a um, movie studio, like Alex Winter was telling me when I interviewed him uh, six years ago. Oh, hold that, on. You, dro- you dropped that name. Humble brag. Yeah, Alex Winters was telling me that he and Keanu filmed Bill and Ted's Most Excellent Adventure, and they uh, it's out it's out on the shelf. Like there was some bankruptcy involved with the studio, and so it was in a vault. And then finally, somebody got it as part of a sale, and he and Keanu did not know it was coming out. And Alex Winter was in texas filming a movie and this is in the time of payphones and he runs into this diner to get to get uh to to make a phone call and everybody stares because the movie has come out and people have seen it and he and keanu didn't know this so i guess that friday night it came out and then he runs into the diner and they're all looking at him like and so he calls up Keanu and he goes, hey, hey did you have a weird weekend where like people <laughs> like look at it? And, and Keanu was like, yeah, uh-huh, you know, because they're good buds. And so that's how they found out their movie was out. And now they just get a text. <laughs> All right, Lynn, let's talk about Parallel Mothers. Okay, now I'm I'm sure Josh, you like this way more than I did. I'll oh, tell you. No. Oh, don't break my heart, Lynn. I know. I knew you were going to do this because I know you love it. Okay, my thing is, I like the story about hunting for the. I mean, reconciling the families that have lost people during the Spanish Civil War with that evil um, Franco, Franco, Francisco Franco. Okay, so he he killed thousands, thousands of people, and these family members don't know what happened to their loved ones, except they were taken. And so there's all these unmarked graves and this. Um, well, they they have stories passed down from generation to generation now that they were all buried in this area of town. So they say, well, maybe they're over there, but they have no idea. There's no proper burial for their family. Right. They never got closure. They never got closure. And so this is remarkable, this story. I loved it. But then Pedro, because he's excessive sometimes, and Pedro Amadevor, I mean, I admire his visual artistry. I love his use of colors. This guy is entertaining. He's joyful. He's hilarious. He makes some of the best Spanish movies. But this movie wasn't even picked as the nominee for Spain. So I don't know. And then Penelope Cruz, who's always radiant on screen. Okay, so she plays a woman. She has a she is a middle-aged woman, not married, no children. She has this casual affair with this married dude that is helping her find the bodies of the loved ones. And she conceives a child and she's ecstatic over being able to be a mother. And in the hospital, she meets a young girl who is having a baby. She was sexually abused and this pregnancy resulted from that, but she's still having the baby. 
and she's very uh, anxious and and they bond they walk in the hall and they bond so they establish a friendship and they meet up later um i, I can't spoil things because that's well the whole point. one thing you have to say is let's talked about up to this point is that they go in labor at the same time and have very difficult and complicated births and maybe that's where we should leave it okay and if you think about the title i mean come on right yeah well no, me- i thought it was clever and i i guess i expected because i was like to me and I know you're going to be brokenhearted. To me, this movie's whiplash. And the girl, Mina, is it Mina? I should have r- yes. written it down. Mina, okay. um, I don't have her last name. She's she's quite good. Everybody in the movie's good. The, Mina uh, the Smith. Older, the older people break your heart. But I would have liked to have seen that. And then the mother story, I think it's so melodramatic and soap opera-y and I wish that whole thing between I just I was like is this realistic do you know no no no, no, no. <laughs> so one of the drives behind melodrama is political it's how do we tell stories that um can be honest but be with great emotion and exaggeration so that we can deliver ideas or not even deliver ideas, but make people understand ideas um, through an enjoyable form, right? So this is kind of where Brecht and Cirque and then El Moldovar is, uh, you know, a, a, a compatriot or um, has inherited these things from him. And he's he's a, he makes melodramas. That's what he does. Even his comedies are melodramas in their exaggerations. And he is a director who's in total control of uh, everything. I think, you know, some of his films, when they fail, it's because he's too in control. Something like Broken Embraces is like perfected to every inch to where it's kind of nothing. To me, this one is breathing and living. I understand uh, your reservation with the two stories. But what he's doing is for a political purpose. He wants us to understand how it must feel to perpetrate trauma, to bury truth, to be um, an entity or a person who wrecks lives and how as an individual or maybe a nation, uh, do you reckon with that? How do you speak truth to that? So there's a, I wrote a review for the lens and this was the kind of my idea of this thing is that yes, there is this atypical story framing device really about uh, something more realistic, right? Uh, This genocide that happened and how it affects these individuals in this uh, rural community from which uh, Janice, the um, uh, Penelope Cruz character, originates. And how how is that, uh, forgive me, paralleled with the story that is most of the film, which is about what this woman decides to do in the face of a great tragedy. And the decisions that she makes and how she justifies them 
this story moved me so much. And then at the end framing device, when it returns back to the more overtly political thing, it all coheres and you say, I understand why you're telling this story. I understand why you framed it. And he's, you know, I went to Columbia the other night. The Ragtag has a, a Pedro little mini fest uh, concurrent with their release of P Parallel Mothers. And I saw Volver. And Volver is a more full-bodied film. Volver is just something so special. But it is also concerned with some, some of the same themes but he in more of an abstract, right? In uh, more in like this melodramatic framework. But this is the first time he's saying, uh, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what my, my country is dealing with. And I feel like it's, a, it's the whole thing is to put us in one person's experience, a very narrow, very insane experience to uh, put you through the emotion of, what Spain did and how the Spanish people are reckoning with it. I found it very moving. I found it. Um, it that it last is, part is incredibly moving. And I just felt like, why wasn't the whole movie like this? Yeah. I get it. I get, I get what you're saying. I guess maybe because I wanted to be so sympathetic with Penelope Cruz's character, well, so hard to be. Yeah. but when she does she this does thing that things. will change your mind, I was very disappointed, but then I don't know, I'm not in that situation, but to me, it was like a days of our lives, like, it, it is you know, I've seen opera. those plots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is so But that's opera. Spanish but, film, isn't it? Well, and certainly Almodovar, like that's, that's what he's that's up his, to. I know, I know. Yeah. Now, what was the film he did about three, four years? Well, maybe it was like five years ago now, but I really liked it and nobody gave it the time of day. But it was Penelope Cruz, but it was harrowing. It was a, it was a departure for him. Pain and Glory? No, that was uh, Antonio Banderas. Are you talking about Bro Broken Embraces? The one where she's an actress? And it's yeah, the story of her it. and her director. Yeah, yeah that, that's what I was kind of crap. That was uh, 2009. Yes. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, because I was like, I like this, and nobody else did. Well, you but get, I get you very know. different Pedros throughout time. Well, you do. Right? Well, you yeah. do because, but he is a character, and he and Penelope Cruz have made what six or seven movies together, so they have a shorthand. And he did win an Oscar for Talk to Her. And all about my mother for foreign language in 2000. Which is about his mother, which is beautiful. But, and, so, and you could say this one is about is about so many mothers and the way mothers behave and how mothers can be bad mothers too. To where is all about my mother is like how great moms can be, right? Right. And he we have a we have a mother, uh, we have two mothers. One's embracing motherhood and one is a reluctant mother. Right. But then kind of the tables turned, right. which uh, we can't give it away, Carl, because it's going to ruin it for you. But I would just say, I uh, maybe I need to see it. Maybe I was, see, sometimes I go in with these expectations and then I just get like, I don't know. It belongs so, to the this kind of new wave of uh, Amoldabar where it's a little bit more subdued, his filmmaking, he's a lot of the conversation it's all conversation it's all sort of close up it's very 
a lot more static than what you kind of think of when you think of him, um, who's like a vibrant filmmaker and all the colors are still there. All of, all of that artifice is still there, but it's, it's, it's a lot more hushed in its filmmaking. And it is with Pain and Glory and Julieta that kind of signaled to a lot of people that, um, <laughs> I, I keep talking about this, but it, he uh, is a more mature artist now, but people keep saying that like every five or 10 years about him. But I saw it a second time to review it. And I will say that a lot of what I'm talking about revealed itself a, a lot more clearly the second time. The first time, you're right. It, he, he loves the whiplash, though. He will, he will really break your neck. Well, that's what I, I said. It was, that's what I said the first time. I said, it's total whiplash. Because you're like, okay, well, well, well we got a comedy, kind of, sort of, romantic comedy. And then we have this really serious melodrama. Then we have a, but yeah, well, I guess it's more like life. But I will say um, he has got such a signature uh, way of filming. When I saw Barber of Seville at Opera Theater of St. Louis a couple of years ago, we walked in and my friend teaches uh, at Webster, teaches music at Webster. And he is a, a former opera singer. He spent 10 years in Spain performing the Royal Opera of Spain. He's been on stage with, with, uh, Placido Domingo, <laughs> you know, those people. She, she, she. Anyway, uh, the, we walked in and we go, oh my God, it's like a Pedro Almodovar set. <laughs> the whole set was just like out of one of his movies. It was those bright oranges and reds and it was beautiful. And I think people, I think it speaks to Spanish culture because my daughter-in-law lived in Spain for, for several years. And so you're attuned to that culture that us Anglos, we don't, we don't understand, but I think the more you see his films, the more you understand it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I will, I will watch it eventually. Um, it's a Sony pictures class. Oh, well, Hey, they used to not give us their films, but now they do. So yay. I will probably see it. All right. So now let's back up. Let's go back to Lynn's birthday and <laughs> talk about the four movies that we talked about that week. And just do a brief recap of how we both. Oh, Lynn, what did I forgot? What did you think about Matrix Four? I liked it way better than other people did. I, I, I liked. I, I like it, but I it, I don't love it. And I, well, I saw it best. again. I saw it again on HBO Max because I I uh, wanted to. <laughs> You know, sometimes those big blockbusters in the IMAX are overwhelming with everything going on, and particularly the Matrix, because it, it does make my head hurt. I never know if we're in the Matrix or out of the Matrix. It's or not shot well. Is it not shot well better on television? So yeah, I've because seen it yeah. since we talked about it, and this is my problem with it. And okay, like, what is the difference between? It, how it looks in the theater because I watched it at home and uh, to me it looks like utter garbage. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, I saw it in IMAX and I said it's just not shot very well. And that's the main problem I have with it. Uh, Lana needs Lily and vice versa. They, they probably uh, tighten things down for each other. And well, so it was I, so loud. It was so loud at the IMAX and that 
is off-putting but, but you me. want that in a movie like that i know you all do that but i okay my <laughs> whole my whole thing about this movie is because i'm a keanu fan and i liked the connection it's not i like movie it's carrie ann moss's movie well right but i like that they reconnected i like the whole human connection i like that story i liked how how conflicted he was because he's been through a lot and it's sad Keanu here, you know? And so <laughs> I liked that whole emotion thing. And then being a big musical theater fan, I love that the musical theater gay icons play awful people. Jonathan Groff and Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, they're they're very what does, good at it. What does that say though? If, if you're trying to be queer positive and you have the really out characters in real life play the villains that doesn't that's well it shows him having really good no, fun she's sending, playing she's villains. Sending very mixed messages i don't think so part of the whole thing about telling queer stories is that you would tell the whole spectrum right so allow the queer people to be the really terrible villains and they're so <laughs> they're so deliciously bad too yes, because they are they, they're two actors who um like my favorite neil patrick harris thing is definitely gone girl and he is in that mode here um yeah. even more heightened Th their scenes are the best scenes they in are. this and they're, they're hamming it up right and anytime carry on to your point carl anytime carry on and moss is on screen it's just it's some it's something else to where the rest of it for me it looked and felt like nbc primetime <laughs> now did you watch it to the very end to get the joke at the end no, and I forgot about that. And it's usually I'm all about Max. watching it to the end. Right, right. I'll go back and I'll see the the joke. I know it's what the a, joke, joke is, and I know I'll like the joke because I am a cat person. There, I gave it away. <laughs> um, but I haven't yet. And, well, and the, the, the problem with this, just like all these sequels that they're resurrecting, <laughs> is <laughs> they died in the last one. They explain that away. I know, but I'm just saying if you're connecting the dots, which I will say the first movie, I appreciated it. I liked it. I didn't know what the hell was going on, but it was groundbreaking. And I could sense that it was groundbreaking. And who doesn't uh, carry those images? Mr. Anderson. And then I saw the next two, and then I was even more confused. And well, don't, they, don't, you could just watch this one and you get two and three explained. So you'd have to watch one and four, and that's all you need. Well, and also, I like Abdul Mateen. I like him I thought a lot. he did well. And yeah. Jessica yeah. Henwick, I liked Jessica Henwick. She was Bugs. good. I just thought the people were good. I don't think, uh, I mean, if you're going to dissect it, sure, there's lots of issues. But I just, I guess maybe I went in with such apprehension. And and I just really liked Carrie Ann and Keanu back together. And that's and Christina you know, Ricci should not be credited as high as she is for the six. What was of that? That well, was terrible. I think we should probably just wait for the ex inevitable extended cut and maybe we'll get more of her PR person with a very crazy haircut that she's yeah. in one shot of. She's yeah, she's not she doesn't deserve to be sixth build. Yeah, it's gotta I love be how they skewered. Thing, right? yeah. I loved how they skewered Silicon Valley, all those hipsters in and the Hollywood. 
bouncing uh, ideas. I loved that. I thought yeah. that was so good because, you know, Keanu's sitting there like, oh, God, this is living hell. All right, Lynn, let's go to a movie that we all like before we get to the one that's going to cause us to argue. So let's go to Tragedy of Macbeth, which was Lynn's favorite film of the year, even though it wasn't her favorite film of the year. Well, it, it shares the spot, but I will say I went. No, you, again. you picked you had to pick. I know I had West to pick because, because because yeah, I know. Wait, well, is Lynn a theater person? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, you, could you tell? It's, it's um, really well done. It's it's very streamlined and it makes Macbeth palatable and it still has all the lines that you want. And it's I encourage gorgeous. people. I, yes, I encourage Beautiful. people to see the 13 minute making of that's now on Apple Plus and it's on YouTube too. It's a featurette. It interviews. But, but you, uh, they're, they're both on Apple Plus, Apple TV yeah. Plus. Uh, it, uh, they interview Denzel, who says that Joel Cohn is the most brilliant filmmaker he has ever worked with. And he talks about how Joel and Francis are just this team. And then they have interviews with all the craft people, the cinematographer, the production design, the costume design, because those elements are so incredibly gorgeous in this movie and create this whole, the, the shadows and the angles. They're like a movie from the forties, plus like an Ingmar Bergman thing. And they stream, they streamlined Macbeth, one of the big three from Shakespeare and make it so uh, palatable for, for modern audiences. Like you can relate to this, you know, greed and revenge and power and how uh, the ambition of both these people, and they make them older too, to give that a little context, the ambition of both of them, how out of control it gets that scares them. And of course, drives Lady Macbeth mad. Oh, spoiler alert. Oh, oops. <laughs> You know. that's the thing i really love about it is the uh the casting and the, the aging up of those main characters because it is ambition but at the same time it is entitlement right right they've they have gone through it they should be at a higher position at this point in their lives right and all and they've of that just is been passed of, over and they've been passed over and it's sort of subtextual right because that's not really in the text it's about young ambitious um people in the shakespeare text but here um i think it to your point lynn it really speaks to politics of today maybe i'll just say that and leave that there um and you can see how how people escalate themselves and I, like we were talking about with parallel mothers how uh how you justify the crazy shit that you do in or oh, excuse me um, no it's crazy, okay crazy things but that you here, do in order to gain power and here's what i will tell everyone that wants to watch this movie watch it since you're watching it on apple tv plus put on the subtitles and you will have a better experience i don't think that's a bad idea yeah no but the carter burwell's music oh mm. my god well there he go. is always used by cohen see cohen uses these great um people for his for all the elements and carter burwell's music there's that one fight sword fight scene where the music is coordinated with the 
swishes of the mm-hmm. swords. Oh, it's brilliant. It's beautifully and, shot. It is the cinematography oh, by uh, Bruno Belbanel. He's fantastic. I would oh, recommend people do it in a double feature with Orson Welles' Macbeth. Um, it, it's a really great contrast, but they're they're kind of uh, Cohen is kind of answering to Welles' Macbeth in sort of the expressionistic things that he's doing uh, that they're both doing. And I think, um, well, if you want to like, bathe it's minimalist. In, yeah, bathe in a sort of uh, German era expressionism for what it would be like four hours then definitely do that as a double feature. And that sounds fun to me. Well, uh, the rep did a fabulous Macbeth uh, in 2011 and they used the color red really brilliantly. And they also had this really unique uh, way of, they all came out and they turned and they explained who they were. It was great. It was like, I'm Macduff, I'm blah, blah, blah. I'm just blah, blah. And then, um, uh, they had the children, which was so incredibly moving because we all know, well, if you know Macbeth, you know what happens to the kids. Not pretty, just pretty awful. And so they had all that where they don't show it happening, but you, the lights come up and there's all the kids on the floor. But this was so brilliant because they just used Macduff's child pretty graphically well, but he stands in for all the kids so, so speaking of death let's talk about licorice pizza <laughs> Carl's being facetious that is a movie that is filled with life and loves life and we're gonna argue about it probably yep yeah like I've kind of dug in with Carl and Max um, oh no and uh, I actually had a conversation about this with, uh, um, I told, I'm on the women's committee for the Critics' Choice Association. And I was just saying, virtually every critics group has lauded this film. It's nominated for virtually everything. And nobody is talking, except I will say Alliance of Women Film Journalists. We did nominate, the, the we have this age gap category. We have a female focus uh, number of categories, and one of them is the most egregious age difference between the, the main screen people. And so this year's winner was Daniel Craig and Leah Sadu. But uh, the age difference between Cooper Hoffman and Alana Hyam was uh, highlighted as one of the nominees because it is over 10 years. Okay, so this no, is Carl you, you and don't, Mike. You don't know how old they are because they no, both lie it's... about their ages. Right, yeah. they don't know, but he can't drive. Okay, so this is my thing. I said to the Women's Committee, I go, uh, we should be thinking about this because uh, I, uh, Carl and Max convinced me that this is icky and that if it was reversed with a man and a woman, that people would be up in arms. So we have yes. a 15-year-old kid, high school kid who can't drive, and an older woman, and she's Alex anywhere between McPherson, 25 my, my and 28. For, yeah, my writer for the poplifestl.com. He said he thought it was more of a platonic, of a buddy relationship, but but nobody that's just friends uh, get flashes their boobs at a at a friend. What? <laughs> I don't know about that. Hey, I am a gay man, and I gotta tell you, 
I've seen plenty of friends' boobs. But maybe that's why, right? Because but now hold on. Right. One of my gay friends says even gay guys like boobs. Yes, I probably don't want to go down this road, but, but. um there aesthetic appreciation is a concept, right? Okay. Anyway. The female figure. Okay. So, but, but if you want to say, <laughs> yeah, if you, if you reverse it and it's, that's the point, right? Is if that you it reverse it, it would be much worse because the film is about the way um, this, this woman um, who is yeah, anywhere between 25 and 28 um, doesn't get a shot in life the way she is uh, at every turn, she thinks she gets an opportunity and she's shot down. And the one person that she finds in her life who's just kind of a light is happens to be 15 years old. And we should say the specificity about these two people is what makes it okay. I'm not going to advocate for a romantic or even a platonic relationship between any old 15 year old and a 20, she's 28. <laughs> I'm going to argue that she's 28. Um, I'm not going to, you know, sit here and say, well, that's okay. That's okay. It's the specificity with which these characters are drawn that, that doesn't necessarily make it okay. But I think that's a part of the text of the film is that um, the way that they relate it. I don't think I feel incredibly moved by it it being a romance or that I, I'm with Alex. I don't consider it really romantic at all. I consider it as a love story, but, but the kind of love in it is about two people who are literally drawn together. They're always running towards each other. Yes, who, always. Who, <laughs> who are connected, who seem to have a need for each other beyond a, a sexual or romantic need and yes they flirt yes they do all that and yes they're even... going to get married maybe well he but, says so... in the beginning i've met the girl i'm gonna marry right but exactly yeah. i wish there would have been less I, I don't know why paul thomas anderson did this but you know i first liked the movie and i heard carl because he was right behind me at the screening and he was saying things and i was like really there's that much of an age difference and then i kind of went and then I thought well if I'm a woman promoting women's issues which I am really dug into steadfast about the sisterhood we can be creepy too sure. I was like so but I have been trying I have been giving this movie a second chance I've been reading things and I'm still not buying it because Paul Thomas Anderson I do like this that he said he had this he hurt I don't know where he got this spark of an idea, but it was like, what if this girl agrees to this date with a guy, but then immediately regrets it. And when she gets there, she just mocks it and makes fun of it. And I think the novelty of that was like, oh, this is fun. This girl's got a little, little saltiness to her, you know, a little feistiness to her. But then she hooks up with the with uh she wants always wants something better she's just hanging out with him just to get somewhere because she's ambitious and uh he's trying to get her to be an actress and she's <laughs> those scenes are good best, best the scene, scene of the, movie. the scene with sean penn as william holden uh, well, wannabe no i thought or, you were going to say the uh harriet's harriet's harris. harris 
Oh, well, that's brilliant. That scene is so good about uh, her being a natural look. I like that he did the natural look. I like that you can see the zits. I like that you this. But then I read a whole big article with with PTA and Alana. And she babysat Cooper Hoffman as a child. So I was just like, Oh, this is it. does that creep you out? Say I don't I don't read this film as like a sexual or romantic thing. They're kids. I mean, they're just... she's not a kid. She's almost thirty. I don't know. She's kind of a kid. Well, she always wants <laughs> something like like kid. Kid. She has no gaydar. She has no gaydar. <laughs> she does. And she so... knows what's going on. She knows what's going on once she figures. She it doesn't well, take her long to figure out. It out but at first no, she it does. It doesn't a... take. No, it doesn't yeah. take her. And that's such a good scene, too. That's yes. just kind of. Well, and yes, on her but you know what? Here's what you're saying. Here's what you're all saying that this, the best scenes in this movie do not involve those two being together. No, nope. it's all ancillary. No, well, he has no game. What he is has my no game? He's Cooper trying Hoffman? to be something he's not. But hey, he is an entrepreneur. But that scene where he's trying to further his acting career and his days are over. That is really good with. PTA's real life wife, Maya Rudolph, just that look she gives when he's reading his lines because he's over. But then I, I like the whole thing about the waterbed and the pinball and how he's ambitious, but he has no game with girls for sure. Well, but, no, you know, he does because she's not the only one. Like, remember in the restaurant where she yeah, goes he's got and, a girlfriend or he's got a he's got girls. girlfriends he's got uh, waitresses who work in that restaurant who call him handjob gary because they all give him handjobs sorry um but that that's the whole thing is that this they they eventually meet <laughs> as far as their maturity they they are on the same level because it, he might be 15 but this is a fatherless kid who's who's recruited his mother for his own business and he not only has this mattress thing that he kind of just locks into right pinball and then does the pinball thing but he also has a marketing firm he's a 15 year old who has been like through hollywood and it starts out with his what is it lucille doolittle and it's supposed to be lucille ball from yours mine and ours yours mine and ours because paul thomas anderson knows this guy gary something he's he's a playtone tom hanks's production company he's with that and this is his story he was a child actor in yours mine and ours so he kind of mashes these stories together i liked because i'm such a huge robert altman fan i liked the nashville vibe to this these people intersecting all these people intersecting but then upon reflection because max and carl made me do this I go back and granted, there's a lot of awful men. And I did live through the the 70s. I know what that's like um, when women were that I was, you know, in high school and college in the 70s. So I understand that men culture of that mindset. Like when Sean Penn is being very predatory to Alana in the restaurant and then the motorcycle thing. And then when... Uh, Bradley Cooper's character, <laughs> who plays John Peters. as John uh, uh, Peters. Peters, who's all libido, you know, all the time, and what an awful a, human a being. cocaine-driven libido that is very scary and frightening. 
Oh, and it's and funny. And not the best those, scene of those the year. Ten, those 10 <laughs> minutes that Bradley Cooper so is in is, is remarkable because that scene where I saw an interview with Bradley Cooper about this because I have really, really been doing my research, but they changed it to, um, he was talking to John Peters and John Peters said, oh, I would have tried to seduce her instead of being mad in the car when, when they're giving him a ride yep. and he tries making the moves on her. That's from John Peters himself. Like, this is what I would have done. And so Bradley Cooper went with that. That's what See, they, it's all about the disgusting dudes. Oh, it, well, it is. It's so icky, but the, uh, and then when we spoiler alert, when that guy shows up very Nashville, like in that one scene with, uh, at the restaurant when Benny Safdie and, uh, Alana are sitting there with the other guy <laughs> and uh, she's like the beard and right. uh, you keep waiting you're off kilter and you're just like that so it is a journey it meanders it's way too long but I appreciate some things but the besides the whole age thing which I do think is problematic and in some reviews they have mentioned it but most everybody's ignoring it so the the other thing is the Asian wives. So if I can just cut in and say all of the negatives that you've been talking about are absolute positives for me, but we're about to agree that the worst thing in like films this year is what you're talking about. Is Lynn. John Michael Higgins? It's terrible. It is. It is. I don't. Under, I don't understand. I get why it's there. It's there because of the purpose of the film. What I'm talking about, right? It's like how women survive through micro and macro aggressions. And in this, you know, he's doing a, a fake accent and has, he's in two scenes. Each scene, he has a different Japanese wife and he's doing this very exaggerated. And it's um, based on a real guy. It, and and maybe this has happened and you know racism's rampant at all times but maybe especially then i he's trying to say i don't really know but the i feel like paul thomas anderson and the, the film thinks what he's doing is funny and it isn't it, it is it isn't even funny because look at how terrible this racist person is it it, it, it is just john michael higgins doing a very old school comedy bit and it's stupid it is and, so stupid. and for a movie that's more than two hours long you could cut those scenes and it would be you could very better. easily cut those scenes and well, add uh, 40 yeah. more minutes for me sorry well i think uh one of the things that people are giving it a pass for because everybody wants cooper hoffman to succeed because he's philip seymour hoffman's son and he's and and you just feel for the kid because you know, his dad died so horribly in 2014, one of the best actors of his generation. It still stings that the poor guy had such demons. Freddie Prince and, Jr. is doing all right. Yeah, right. And so you, you, you feel for him. You all automatically have uh, a sympathetic viewpoint and he's good he's good you can tell he's gonna probably you know have some great opportunities but time will tell and then 
Alana with her whole family in the movie. And then she's from the singing group, I am, which I get, I had a question about for, I did a trivia night over the weekend. I wrote the questions, if Ellen, I included, uh, we had gr a girl groups category and I did girl groups and I did high am and only the three tables of all young folk got it. <laughs> I always thought it was Haim, but okay. Well, I think it's, I, I, think I it's looked high it up. Okay. I think it's, it's uh, between it's, the two. It's Haim because I was saying Haim too, Carl, but then they're on YouTube, the girls themselves tell you how to pronounce their name. Okay. So I figured, well, if they're telling me how to say Haim, I'm going to say I still hate I'm. the movie, but whatever. Yeah. But anyway, I'm just saying people like her, people like him, they're giving it a pass. I'm not saying that's right, but I'm just saying that's the prevailing attitude I get. And I would say that it's in the text of the film. It is very much about that. If anyone watches it and and isn't sort of under like understanding that it's present and chooses to ignore it, I think they're, I mean, I hate to say this, they're probably watching it wrong. <laughs> I understand how people are responding to it. And Lynn, I will say, that conversation is super prevalent on Twitter. It is probably, um, it's raging still right now as people are seeing it and it is doing well for the this sort of, uh, you know, platform that it would typically be on. Um, it's doing a lot better than uh, past PTA films, but see it and maybe form an opinion. And it'll certainly be on the spectrum of what we've said here, I'm sure. Okay. I still don't care for it. <laughs> All right, but Encanto is now, it now has two songs in the top 10 on Billboard. Hey, yep. Encanto, very good. I watched it on Sunday night and it just made me smile. I think <clears throat> it's like when I watched soul like three times, you know, I had a really good in. And I know Carl, you think that you shouldn't have to see a movie again to appreciate it more, but I really appreciated Encanto more this time. And uh, because I went, because of the whole song, we, we don't talk about Bruno. I went back to see that whole context and I guess I wasn't, uh, I didn't understand it as much when I saw it the first time because I was kind of rushed when I saw it. during that crazy award season where we were being bombarded and it was like, oh, I got to watch this. And so I really just let it unfold and enjoyed it and uh, uh, just adore. Mirabel was named the Alliance of Women Film Journalists uh, favorite female animated character. There is a thing Watch about party. all the easter eggs in it and her outfit like with the butterfly and with her skirt and the detail in that film is just incredibly gorgeous and i think at first it takes a while to figure out what's going on because it's such a sprawling family yes but because the music is driving children to go bonkers over this I think you, you have to go back and understand the whole connections between everybody. Cause I think at first it's so busy with all these people, you don't understand who's who. That Does is that true. make it, sense? Yes, I understand. There's a watch party on Sunday, five Eastern, four central. 
where right when told. when everybody here is going to be watching the KC versus Bengals game at two, <laughs> but, but not the kids. Not the kids. The kids, I, as I said to Ray me. last night, you can you can record the football game part there, and you can get on the computer with the kids to tweet with the musicians, with the cast, with the technicians. Hold on a second. Are you saying that if you if you were going to re- record a live sporting event and you're going to be on Twitter at the same time, uh, that doesn't work, Lynn. That's not how Twitter works. No, you you have well, your TV will be recording the football game, but you will be on the computer with the tweets of all the cast and crew and everything. Yeah. Joshua, please explain to her how Twitter works. Hey, I, I don't even know how Twitter works. It won't and be- I don't know how live sports work either. So I'm gonna do the <laughs> Encanto watch party. I think it'll be fun because I did the Hamilton watch party. I've done watch party. I did the, I, I've done watch parties before. It's tweeting at the actual time the movie's going yeah, on. I, I understand. But thinking that you're not going to get spoiled on what's going on with the football game is insane. You can't really go back and watch a live tweet unless, you but know, this is saying. an interesting like experiment. I think we should just let her do it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how it works out. Well, actually, I'm going to be at my uncle's assisted living and I'm not going to have my computer. Oh. So I will be watch. I will not be watching the the um, watch party. But I said this last night on uh, Facebook that this watch party was going to happen. And I talked about it on KTRS. And I have gotten so many grandpas and grandmas telling me how much their kid, their grandkids are loving Encanto and obsessed with the soundtrack and singing it all the time. And Lin-Manuel Miranda and uh, John Legazama were on Good Morning America the other day. And uh, Lin-Manuel said that his son, Sebastian, came home from second grade and said, Dad, everybody's singing your song. <laughs> well, first of all, it's in Canto cast. There's like 20 people singing in that song. If you try to list everybody on, like if Billboard just gave up and they just changed it to Encanto cast. So, <laughs> but Stephanie Beatrice, who plays uh, Mirabelle, uh, she did a thing. If you go to YouTube, there's all these little yes. featurettes and they need a dance room music. I need a dance Great. remix to play at hockey because right now the organist played at the hockey game last night. I need a dance remix to play and I'm going to find one. Oh, cool. Very cool. Well, John Leguizamo, because, uh, because Josh, Carl and I are huge Lin-Manuel Miranda fans and I'm so yes. happy that they, <laughs> they, they inserted him in a joke in the op- opening SNL monologue last week. I don't know if you guys saw the opening scene. Yeah. Uh, Will Forte was actually a really good host. He brought a lot of different energy to that thing. But they start off the SNL with Kate McKinnon playing Laura Ingraham. And uh, she was going on about, you know, white people. <laughs> and she was like, oh, now everything's aioli. What's wrong with mayonnaise? Thank you, Lin-Manuel. <laughs> no, thank you. She goes, no, thanks, Lin-Manuel. <laughs> so anyway, I'm sure everybody got a kick out of that because, you know, but getting back to Lin-Manuel, uh, John Leguizamo, he said he loved John Leguizamo's stand-up so much when he was younger that that's why he wanted 
him cast as Bruno. And then it's a mutual admiration society. John Leguizamo said that Lin-Manuel was like Gershwin, Cole Porter, and Jay-Z in the same person. Wow. That's a good place to wrap. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Lynn, Lynn, where can we find you on the socials? I am in all the socials. I just hooked my Instagram up with the Facebook so that I don't have to think too hard about doing all that stuff. Yeah. And I'm on KTRS every Thursday night after the 10 p.m. hour with Ray Hartman. Uh, Miller Furniture goes to the movies. Lynn, uh, Miller Furniture presents Lynn Van House goes to the movies. I got to get my sponsor right. And then we have this wonderful podcast, poplifestl.com, which is on Apple, SoundCloud. We have a Facebook page where we post it. I post it. And we are on onstl.com. Thank you, Ron Stevens. Joshua, where can we find you, sir? I'm on Instagram, Letterboxd, Twitter at Crispy Retinas, like the dry eyes. Um, I want to take a second. I write for Cinema St. Louis is the lens. Uh, we've copied your idea and we have our own podcast now. A um, little bit different. We do um, spotlight an underloved or an underseen film uh, on our biweekly podcast. Right now we're covering uh, the films of 2021. Last week, Andrew picked St. Maud. This week um, or this next episode, Kayla McCullough is picking Cusp documentary. And then I've picked Kyosha Kurosawa's Wife of a Spy. So it's a little different. We're going to sit around and talk about one film. We'll do a little now showing thing each week and wrap up with the game. So um, yes, we we have stolen your vibe and you too will have to come on and join us too. And Absolutely. Great meeting of the minds then. But thank you for having me on again, guys. Of course. Yeah, can- well, thank you. Always delightful. Carl, where can we find you? You can find me at underscore Carl the intern on Twitter and Instagram. Usually it's 99% about hockey, but every once in a while, I'll surprise you. And you can find me every weekday morning, Monday through Friday on the Mark Cox morning show on 97.1 and on Camo X on the weekends for second amendment radio and the great outdoors. All right. Well, real quick uh, to wrap up what you should watch this weekend. We need to talk about Cosby, the documentary that just premiered at Sundance by W. Kamal Bell is going to get the four episode docuseries treatment on Showtime starts Sunday night. This should be quite illuminating. And uh, the eyes of Tammy Faye, which I know was not among Joshua's favorite movies of 2021 starts on HBO. And then next week's going to be Nightmare Alley, which we can do a whole discussion on Nightmare Alley. Cause have we talked about that, Carl? Uh, no, we have not because I hadn't seen it yet. All right. So then, and then it's one of Max's favorite movies though. Yeah. And then we will uh, talk about prom at the Fox, which we're going to finally see because it's been, it was delayed by the COVID uh, outbreak of the cast. And there's a lot of that going on. So I would uh, tell people that before you go anywhere, check and see if the performance is still going on or moved or whatever, and what you got to show up with, because I had a woman in front of me at the rep at the ID table. Oh, I didn't know I had to bring my ID. Yeah, you did. You know, and she held up the line for like 10 minutes trying to find her her stuff. In her How purse. did she get there? 
Well, they turned her. They well, I know her husband was like, "Oh, we didn't know, we didn't know." Yeah, and and then and then they turned him away because they didn't have any vax cards or anything. So it's like you know that's that's what's happening in the world right now. The Last Duel is on HBO and HBO Max. If you want to see that. And did you know, you guys, that Don't Look Up is the number two movie on Netflix right now? Did not know that. Oh. Yeah, outside <laughs> of uh, outside of Red Notice. So Which people is are... a much better film. It is. I liked Red Notice. I thought it was very fun. Um, I'm just also, saying people, people are watching it. Also, uh, Book of Boba Fett is getting interesting, and Peacemaker ended with an amazing cliffhanger this week, so... You should continue to watch it. Wow. Well, that that is uh, extremely interesting. Van Gogh has been extended to March 30th, and both Carl and I highly recommend it. Have you seen it, Joshua? I have not. Oh, well. Another month. No, two months. And Willem Dafoe is going to be the host of SNL for the first time ever, and everybody's so shocked that he's going to he said it. it was never it never timed out for him, but now it is going to. So right, it, uh, he had fun. he had five movies last year. Think about that, five movies, and one of them was Spider Man. Spoilers, what? Oh yeah, I forgot. Oh, you you never mind. Literally everyone's seen that. I'm pretty sure you actually that's not true. I know somebody that is going to see it this Saturday. Oh, I'm lying. I have not seen it, but oh. I've- I, might I haven't seen I, I haven't seen a Joshua because of the whole, you know, hey, Omicron. And then also it's just I don't want to see it with 300 people on five, five, a dollar Tuesday. Understandable. All right, everybody. Have a good week. Have a good weekend. Go Bye. Rafa in the Australian Open and uh, stay safe. Keep warm. Bye. Bye. Bye.